0: Everybody doing okay? Good? (laughs) All right. Okay, so I got three things to talk to you about before we get into the lesson today. First one's really dumb, and I didn't say it at any other services, but uh, Kyle and I have traveled a lot uh, with each other over the years, and tonight we're flying to Delaware because that's where everyone wants to go hang out. And um, it's a joke if you've ever been to Delaware. Uh, It's not much, but um, there's a church we're going to go do some work with up there, and and, um, I just told him, I was like, man, I'll just tell you you're welcome in advance because I got us two rooms instead. You know, we are not just to sleep in the same room. And um, I remember the first time we ever stayed somewhere in a hotel together, I didn't know that he's the kind of person that has to have like a fan. You know, he's one of those people. A lot of those people out there are weirdos, right? They have to have like the, the noise going in the background. And, um, <laughs> and uh, I was the kind of person when I sleep in hotels, I always had to have the TV on. I didn't want any sound, but I just wanted something on and I couldn't go to sleep unless I had something on. So the first time we stayed in the same hotel room together, there was this, like, he brought, like, this turbine, like, mini turbine fan and, like, plugged it in. There's no clothes in his suitcase. He's had a big fan. He's plugs it in. And, <laughs> and then I had, like, the Twilight Zone playing all night, like, you know, on USA or whatever it was. And, and um, it was at that moment, I'm like, we should just get separate rooms, you know? Like, it's, like, complete chaos in this room. So anyways, that's one. Number two, <clears throat> back in the back, we have been working with mentor leaders if you do not support a child with them, it's 35 bucks a month. Uh, my wife and I, have been uh, we've supported a child for, for several years now. It's uh, Anyone can afford to do this. Listen, if you do that, um, and all the people that work for Mentor Leaders, they come to church here. This is their church home. Uh, they sponsor kids in Togo, Africa, in Haiti, and in El Salvador. And this $35 gives them health care. I wish we could get health care for $35 a month. It gives them health care um, gives them an education. They go through biblical training, through discipleship processes, and, um, gives these kids a shot at life. So anyways, I just want to encourage you guys before you leave, just slip back there. Um, either just sign up. It's a great organization or at least get some information, pray about that, think about that. But, um, we live in such a blessed culture and society, 35 bucks a month is is not a big deal, right? So we can all do that. And, um, think about that. Last thing is this. And, um, Yeah, so working through the book of Matthew, we're in a very difficult spot in the book of Matthew. And I sent my wife a text. Actually, she sent me a text right after the nine o'clock because she comes on Saturday and then she watches me. Uh, I don't know why, but then she watches me on YouTube on on Sunday. But um, her and I were just talking. This is a very tough, very tough book of the Bible once you get towards the end to teach because it's hard. It's, it's ugly, it's messy. Um, Jesus kind of lays the smack down on the religious people and he lays the smack down on his disciples and very hard truths and very straightforward answers and, and it's hard, it's difficult over time to, to get up here with a bunch of people that, I mean, you're here. So that means you're, you're here for a reason, right? So I often feel like I'm, I'm preaching at the choir, like I'm, I'm saying all these things, about a broken society, a broken culture, even a broken church culture, and I feel like I'm, I'm yelling at the people who are, who are doing a good job. And so I, I, I'm saying all that to say, every time I get up here, I pray, over here in the corner, I pray to God, God, let every word that come out of my mouth be straight from your heart. I just wanna say, I, I wanna say what you want me to say, and I trust that God does that through me, um, and then I go back to my office, and, and I feel like garbage, because I feel like I've hurt feelings. And so... I'm saying all this to say, please, uh, if I say some stuff today and and it sounds tough or it sounds, it's, we live in a very broken society, very broken culture, very broken Christian culture in our nation. And so it may not be you, but the the cancer is out there. And so I think I'm supposed to talk about it and it may not apply to you directly, but but maybe some of it does. So show me some grace today. And um, if you're going to send me something, you know, mean, wait till Monday morning uh, let me at least get home and eat lunch, and, um, and then you can send me mean stuff. But uh, at least give me like a little bit of a, a half day, and, um, and then I can receive your, your tough stuff on, on Monday. So, okay, anyways, all that being said, we are in the Gospel of Matthew. Been working through it this entire year, and we'll be working in, into it a little bit into the beginning of the new year. And what we were talking about last week, we're in chapter 24, which is a very, very interesting chapter. Chapter 24 and chapter 25, are mostly prophetic. They're talking about things that have not happened yet. Well, some of the things have happened. Some of the things have been happening, but some of the things have not yet come to pass yet, okay? And so where we're at is Jesus is leaving the temple. He just got into his last argument with the religious leaders. Jesus is done with them. They're done with Jesus. Now they're just going to kill him. They're not going to argue with him. They're just going to kill him. So they part ways. Jesus is walking out of town. He's talking with his disciples And his disciples at the beginning of chapter 24, they stop him and they go, Jesus, look at how pretty our churches are. Look how pretty our temples are. Look at the the architecture. Look at all the time and money that's been put into these. And Jesus's response to these man-made institutions, he says, well, they're all about to get knocked down. The Roman Empire is going to come in. They're going to level all this. And that caught the disciples off guard. And the disciples ask, they say, well, okay, well, when is that going to happen? Because we want to know And when will you come back? When is the end of the age? When is the end of time? So what we talked about last week, because the Bible gives us, this is a very hard thing to teach in front of thousands of people. The Bible gives us no reason to believe that society and culture will ever get better. It's going to get worse. Called that the apocalyptic theory. Bad, 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 bad. Jesus comes back. Okay. So we asked ourselves last week, are we ready for things to get hard? Are we ready for the future? Are we ready for whatever the future holds? If the Bible doesn't give us any illusion, that it gets better, but it becomes more difficult, right? Are we spiritually prepared for that? Are we mentally prepared for that? Okay. So we talked about that. Are we ready if things get worse? This week, we're going to talk about a very interesting phrase. Maybe you've never heard before. We're going to ask ourselves if we have possibly become Christian atheists, which means people that say they believe in the word of God, but live in a way that does not show that. They live in a way that doesn't show that they believe that these things will ever come to pass, right? They read this, maybe they don't read it, but they come to church. They say, I believe, but we don't live in a way like we believe. Christian atheism, okay? We'll talk about that a little bit today. So you should have got a notes handout when you came in. You guys are awfully quiet. Should have got a notes handout when you came in has everything I'm going to say in there. Everything will be on the screens around the room. If you have a smartphone, everything will be on the Experience Community app. You can just look on that, and uh, all the notes and the scripture is on there. If you're old school like me, have a Bible. We're in the first book of the New Testament. We're in the 24th chapter. We're halfway through. Everything I read today is going to be in red letters, which means straight from the mouth of Jesus himself. So if you don't like any of it, it's not me. (laughs) You can take it up with him. So uh, he's the one that said all this stuff, okay? So I'm going to pray. We'll work through this, and um, we'll see what happens, okay? Father, Lord, I love you, God. Lord, I love this church. God, I love this church. We need you, Father, and we need your hand on this particular group of people, Lord, the people watching right now, the people in this room right now. Father, pray that you keep your hand on us, Lord. Don't just keep your hand on us, God. Keep your hand on on the greater church, churches in our city, churches uh, that we work with up in New England, God, the church we're about to go work with up in Delaware, churches that we work with in other countries, God. Lord, pray that you keep your hand on mentor leaders and what they're doing to, to feed and educate and take care of kids all over the world, Lord. God, uh, we just pray, Lord, that everything we do today, that it honors you, that it blesses your name, God, that it brings us closer to you. I pray that, Lord, everything we talk about today, God, that it, that it honors you and that every word that comes out of my mouth is exactly what you want to come out, Lord. We love you. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we stopped in mid-sentence last week. and um, Or not mid-sentence, in mid-conversation. Jesus picks up, okay? This is what he says. If anyone tells you then, see, here is the Messiah, or over there, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will arise, They'll perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Take note, I have told you in advance. So if they tell you, see, he's in the wilderness, don't go out, or see, he's in the storerooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the carcass is, the vultures will gather. And immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not shed its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the people of the earth or peoples of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Now, if you weren't here last week, Jesus has already talked about false teachers, false leaders, false prophets. Jesus is gonna go a little bit further in that conversation and say a lot of these false leaders are going to try to predict the exact time when the world is going to end or Jesus is going to come back. And they're gonna tell you that they can predict that because they have cracked some secret code. There's some kind of secret knowledge that they know that you don't know. So listen, these leaders have been around for a long time. These narcissistic teachers have been around for a long time. Any of you old enough in this room to remember 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988? That was a real book, right? Here we are 20-something years later, 30 years later, and Jesus has not come back yet. And so all the time people are predicting these things. But Jesus again is saying, remember we talked about this escalation of evil last week that this is going to happen more frequently, more and more and more. world's going to end in 2012. It's going to end in 2000. It's going to... All these things, right? People are always trying to predict when the end is going to come or when Jesus is coming back. Some of these false leaders will even do miracles. They'll do signs and wonders. And Jesus said in Matthew 12 and Matthew 16 that it is a perverse, evil generation of people that are always looking for a sign, always looking for wonders. It's not that God doesn't give us signs, but first and foremost, we should be seeking the truth through the word of God and through prayer, not waiting for God to like do some magic tricks for us. That's not why we have faith. And so there's a lot of churches built on this, they're built on signs and wonders. A lot of you like, you know, some churches that produce some pretty good music, but their theology is completely whack, right? If that's ambiguous enough. Anyways, There's a lot of these churches built on these signs and wonders. And let me tell you what the problem with that is. If people are just looking for signs and wonders, but they're not in the word of God, eventually a charismatic man is going to show up. We're going to call him the antichrist, because that's what the Bible calls him, says he's going to do miraculous things. And if we're just focused on signs and wonders and not good theology, we're going to be duped. So we need to be careful with that. Now, listen, I believe in the miraculous. I believe in signs and wonders But a mature Christian follows God even if they never see those things, even if they never see the miraculous. And here's the other side of that. Let's define miraculous. Let's define signs and wonders. Paul would say in Romans chapter one, when you walk outside today, knowing that there is this huge, massive ball of fire that is in the perfect proximity from this planet that we're on, that we rotated a certain axis so life can live on this planet, that's miraculous, that's a sign. And so Paul says in Romans 1, you should be able to just walk out in nature and be like, this is enough, right? This is enough of a sign that there is a God. So we need to be careful though, not to get wrapped up in this signs and wonders thing. We also need to be careful because there's not a hidden knowledge. The same group of hyper charismatic, nutty churches that tell you about all these signs and wonders are the same ones that tell you, the pastor will say, an angel visited me at night and took me into a secret room. He showed me an inner place. If you go down into, I'm talking about today. I'm not talking about something in the past. There's a lot of these churches now that talk about there's these inner rooms and all these different things. And Jesus is straight up. He says, if they say I'm in the storehouse, don't go. They say I'm in the wilderness, don't go. The Bible is not trying to hide something from you. The Bible is trying to reveal truth, not, not hide it. So some guy can say that he's cracked the code and he can sell it to you. Come to our school of supernatural, blah, blah, blah. All that bull crap, right? That's called Gnosticism. You ever heard of Gnosticism? Gnosticism came out right after Jesus was resurrected and went, about 50 years after Jesus resurrected and ascended into heaven. There was a group of people called the Gnostics that claimed that they had a secret knowledge of God and they would sell it to you for a price. They even wrote the Gnostic Gospels, Right? That's been going on forever, and it still goes on today. And Jesus says, avoid that. Stay away from that. Jesus also assures us that he will, we will all know when he comes back. So these people that claim to have this secret knowledge, right? I think Jesus is going to come back here, or he's going to show up at this particular date. Jesus says it's going to be like lightning. It's going to be like a lightning crash from the east to the west. It's going to be very, very obvious Everyone is going to know when he's coming back. And then he also says, he makes this odd reference to, to vultures. He says where the carcasses, the vultures will be. And if you're reading that, you're kind of like, what in the heck is that? That's probably referring to one of the most gruesome parts of the entire New Testament. In Revelation chapter 19, it says when Jesus returns, all the evil armies of the world are coming against him. And it's not a fight. Jesus it says that Jesus opens his mouth and obliterates all of the evil armies of the world, and then it says all the vultures come and feed on the carcasses. It's pretty graphic. That's in Revelation chapter 19. That's probably what he's referring to right there. And then we jump to the end of time. So again, remember there is this escalation. Things are getting worse and worse and worse. This building of evil. Jesus, though, speaks of these cosmic disturbances that are going to happen. I've said this to you guys before. Jesus is literally going to shake the heavens and the earth to try to get our attention. Jesus mentions it right here, the sun going dark, the stars falling. It's probably talking about meteorites, not literal stars, right? All these things are going to take place. John speaks of this in Revelation. Isaiah speaks of it. Ezekiel speaks of it. Joel speaks of it. Amos, Zechariah, even Luke in the book of Acts speaks of these cosmic disturbances. And we see it again right here in the book of Matthew, okay? And what that is basically alluding to is when Jesus comes back, it will be unmistakable. We're not going to be like watching the news one day and be like, oh, I didn't know Jesus came back in Mexico. Like, right? I didn't know he was hanging out in Arizona. It's going to be an unmistakable thing. I don't know why I picked those two geographic locations. Just came out, right? And when Jesus comes back, it says that people will mourn. That's not the believers. Believers will be happy when Jesus returns because we can get out of this place and go to our eternal place. But when he comes back, people who have lived in rebellion to him Or disbelief that he even exists, they're going to realize that he does exist and that they have not used their time wisely. And by that point, it will be too late and they will mourn because their time is done. Okay. So learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branches become tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now concerning that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. As the days of Noah were, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in those days before the flood, they were eating, They were drinking, they were marrying, they were giving in marriage until the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know that until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way the coming of the Son of Man will be. There'll be two men in a field. One will be taken, one will be left. Two women will be grinding grain with a hand mill. One will be taken, one will be left. Therefore be alert, since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. This is why you also are to be ready because the son of man is coming in an hour you do not expect. So listen, we're not gonna know the exact hour, but Jesus says we will know the season. I love this analogy. Jesus uses a lot of agricultural analogies, okay? Okay. Now, I don't know a lot about trees. I can't, like, look at trees. I even have a fig tree on my property line. I don't, like, peer out the window, and I'm like, summer's coming. You know, like, I'm not that good with agriculture. But people that know how to look at trees, look at plants, you can tell what season is coming. Now, in the same way, look at how good this analogy is. Just like you should be able to look at a tree and gauge the season by the fruit or lack thereof, this is so important, Christians who are full of the Holy Spirit should be able to look at culture and society, judge the fruit that culture and society is producing and know from that fruit how close Jesus' return is. That we are getting close to the season. So we're not gonna know the specific time, but we're gonna feel that it's getting closer. So as evil escalates and increases, our awareness of the season should also increase. Listen, That's why the book of Hebrews says you should go to church more and more as time goes on. We live in a culture right now in the United States where church attendance, man, our church attendance is half of what it was in February. I know we have the pandemic and everything else, but quite frankly, a lot of people have just got lazy and stopped going to church. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 10, you should be more and more involved in the church community as time goes on. As evil increases, be aware of the season. Know that you need people around you. Know that you need the church. Know that you need community. Simple stuff. And then Jesus says, I assure you, none of these things, this generation will not pass away until these things have taken place. But of course, Matthew's generation did pass away. They're all dead. So what was he referring to? Jesus is not talking about the distant future. He was talking about their near future. Talking about when Rome was going to come in in 70 AD and all the people who were alive when, when Jesus was sharing this stuff that those people were gonna see it. They were gonna see this coming destruction into their hometown. And so yes, that generation passed away, and every generation will pass away until Jesus comes back. What he's talking about is this. Jesus is trying to get us to stop putting so much stock in our culture, in our government, in our society, in our generation, and to put more stock in his eternal principles. What Jesus is saying is this though culture may change, though empires may come and go, God's word will always stand firm. What that means is this. I can't tell you how many people in the last year, there's been several in the last week who have sent me emails or sent me messages and they say, Corey, this book is written by a bunch of old dead guys thousands of years ago. It's not relevant anymore. Things have changed. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Your culture may change. Your government may change. Your empires may come and go, but the principles of this book will remain for eternity. Just because your favorite movie star says that things are different doesn't mean things are different. God's word is eternal and it never moves. Well, it was written so long ago. It doesn't matter. All of these principles work when they're applied to your life. All of them, all of them, they do not move. So again, we'll know the season, but we'll not know the hour. And though Jesus tells his disciples that they can sense the season, they cannot know the day or hour, not even the angels, or Jesus knows that, only the Father. So again, this should be a red flag. Whenever some guy, you know, who's on like cable access at three in the morning says it's happening next Thursday, Jesus is coming back. We should know automatically Jesus is not gonna come back at that exact time because no one knows the day or hour. It should be a clear indicator, right? Whenever people say it's happening at this exact time, That's why when everyone was freaking out in 2012, everyone was freaking out in 1999. Those things are happening. You know that it's not going to end at that point because we're not going to know the day. We're not going to know the specific day and hour. And that uncertainty is on purpose. Jesus left that time unclear because He wants us to be ready all the time. Listen, Jesus knows our heart better than we know our heart. Jesus knew. That if we all knew, if we all had knowledge of the exact day that Jesus was coming back, let's say Jesus was coming back next Friday and we all knew it. A lot of us would live like hell up until Thursday night. And God knows that. God knows that. He knows that our hearts are not in the right place. So he's trying to redirect our hearts and say, be ready all the time. Not just when you're afraid. Not just when you know you're gonna get caught. So it goes back to a posture of the heart. We have to ask ourselves today, this morning, why are, you, why are we here? Are we here because we just don't wanna to go to hell? That's a bad reason. It's a bad reason. Or are we here because we want to know the truth and we're in love with our creator? Why are we here? We're not trying to get to heaven just because we're afraid of hell. We're trying to get to heaven because we wanna be with our creator. We want, we, we're in love with our, our father, right? Right? So we have to ask ourselves, what is the posture of our heart? Is it just selfishness? Or is it a genuine desire to want to know the answers and to be closer to God? But Jesus says it's gonna be real similar to like the days of Noah. Most people know that story, right? You've seen the Russell Crowe movie. That was terrible, wasn't it? How awful that was. So just like the rain that fell in Noah's day, just right before it, right? The people who didn't care to know God Jesus says they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in a marriage. Listen, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Obviously, there's nothing wrong with eating, nothing wrong with getting married, nothing wrong with drinking as long as you're not getting drunk. It's probably referring to like celebrations. Nothing wrong with that. But what Jesus was saying is this. (laughs) Listen, here's where where it, it starts to connect with us. Jesus was saying, just like in the days of Noah, people are just going to be living their lives not thinking about anything beyond their life. They're just gonna be watching football games with their friends. They're just gonna be eating steaks. They're just gonna be making money and trying to, you know, step up the corporate ladder. And they're just gonna be doing, doing themselves, right? And that's what we talk about all the time. Just doing me. Just doing me. There's gonna be a lot of people just doing me, and they're gonna be real shocked when the bottom falls out. And that's what Jesus was saying no thought of the afterlife, this unwillingness to think ahead, this unwillingness to prepare this unwillingness to get out of their comfort zone. And when we we have this unwillingness to think about the future, we miss the things of God. We miss eternity. We miss God working through us right in this moment. But there are so many people that are just focused on right now, right? Not thinking about the future. Not thinking about eternity. And so Jesus gives us these really simple analogies. He's like, there's two guys working. One was prepared, one was not. There was two women who were just doing their kind of daily chores, getting food ready for the night, you know, grinding up grain. One was prepared, one was not. Jesus says it's similar to a guy that wasn't really being responsible and he left his his front door unlocked and his windows open. And in the middle of the night, a thief crept in because he wasn't prepared. And so Jesus, what's the point of all these little analogies? Be prepared. Be prepared because you don't know the day. You don't know the hour. So be prepared. So whenever Jesus comes back, right, we are ready for that. But to do that, we have to be faithful. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master has put in charge of his household to give them food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. Truly I tell you, you'll put him in charge of all of his possessions. But if that wicked servant says in his heart, my master is delayed. That's the important part today, guys. My master is delayed and starts to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. That servant's master will come on a day he does not expect him. And at an hour he does not know, he will cut him to pieces And assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So here's what I love about Jesus and here's what I love about the Bible. The Bible and the teachings of Jesus are not just rhetorical, philosophical questions, right? Jesus asks a very important question He says, Who is faithful? What does it mean to be faithful? What does it mean to be a faithful servant? He asks the question, but he doesn't just leave it hanging out there. Right after he asks the question, what does it mean to be faithful? He answers it. What does it mean to be faithful? To be a servant who the master finds doing their job when he comes. Not just working when someone's watching, not just doing what you're supposed to be doing when people see you, or, but whenever the master walks in, you're already doing what you're supposed to be doing. And this is a huge problem for us Faithfulness is a huge problem for us. Wisdom is a huge problem for us. But here's the thing. God entrusts us with our lives. God has given us breath in our lungs and blood in our veins and a mind that thinks clearly because we're supposed to do something with the time that we have. And listen, when I say steward, that means that really you don't own you. You're borrowing you from God. The only reason you're alive right now is because God is allowing you to be alive. And we need to get that in our heads. Listen, I'm not saying this to be controversial, but I'm very bothered when I hear people say, well, it's my body. I can do whatever I want with it. Not if you claim to be a Christian because the Bible says you've been bought with a price and your body is not your own. That's from that book. I didn't write that. So whenever we start walking around, I can do whatever I want. Not if you claim to be a Christian. It is not yours. You are stewarding that. God has given us everything. And we are called to live in obedience to God's teaching and to live in love, a love for him and a love for other people. What does it mean to be faithful and wise? To be doing our obedience and to do our love, right? To live in love the way that God has told us to do that and to do it all the time. Tuesdays, Wednesdays, three o'clock in the morning when people make us angry, obedient and wise and loving, right? That's what we're called to do. We're also called to be good stewards of our resources. Man, it is so uncomfortable talking about money in church, but like, if Jesus talks about it, if the Bible, we got to talk about it. And I'm just gonna say, how we spend our money matters because even our money ultimately belongs to God. Well, Corey, I'm the one that earned it. Well, God made your legs. The reason you could walk into the office is God gave you those legs. God gave you that mind. God gave you those hands. God gave you the ability to do these things. So ultimately, everything we have is by the grace of God. And we're called to steward those things well. I'm gonna be real harsh for a second. If you're a man in this room and your kids don't have enough to eat, that's your problem. That's your fault. And you are called by God to provide for your family. You're called to do whatever you have to do. Well, Corey, I just can't afford it. You have a $1200 phone in your pocket. Tell me about how you can't afford it. People all the time and listen, we don't mind helping people. But when they come in and they go, "We can't pay our $100 electric bill." We'll do a budget and we're like, "But you take you pay $250 a month for cable." You can pay your electric bill. You just care more about entertainment than you care about providing for your children. That's the problem. And listen, I'm going to be a jerk. Some of you guys are going to be held accountable. Because the Bible says if a man doesn't want to work, he should not be allowed to eat. God does not condone apathy and laziness and not providing for your family. We're called by the Word of God to do that. We're also called to be responsible with the church, faithful to the church with our finances. Man, listen, guys, and I don't know who gives at this church, and you guys are a very, very faithful church when it comes to giving. Very faithful. So I want to brag on you for a second. This year, I've heard so many churches their giving has gone down. Ours has gone up. You guys are extremely faithful. Extremely faithful. Well, that's you guys. That's not, that's not me. But listen, I want to tell you a little bit about tithing. My wife and I have always faithfully tithed. And though we have never been rich, I don't ever plan on being rich. None of those things, we've had, God has always been faithful. Because listen, tithing is not about money. Tithing is about your heart. It is about you either trusting the Lord with your finances or not trusting the Lord. And so whenever people come up to me and they say, Corey, can you pray for my finances? I always ask, have you been faithful to God with your tithing? If they say no, I go, I can't pray for you because the book of Malachi says your finances are cursed. If you don't trust the Lord, I I can't pray for you in that regard. We have to be faithful. And listen, I know why a lot of you aren't faithful to the church because a lot of churches have squandered your money and they'll pay for that. Churches will have to answer for that. But at this church, we show you where all your money goes. We show you, we give away more money than any five churches combined in this area. And so we will show you, please don't applaud for that. That was a rude thing to say. I shouldn't have said it. Anyways, (laughs) a lot of your money is going out. We're doing things in the community with it. That's why we're faithful. Is So if someone does need help, if someone's hungry, we can collectively bring our resources together and make sure that no one starves to death. Make sure that people are taken care of. And listen, I think we're also called as Christians to help the betterment of society. I think nonprofits that we need to give to that. I'm not trying to guilt you into this. I think you should really pray about helping a kid out in a third world country. Again, and when we say oh, 35 bucks a month, listen, go from a Trenta iced coffee to a, to a Venti and you can pay for that. That's what I did, seriously. Every day at lunch, I would go get an iced coffee from, from uh, Starbucks right here, right? And so every day I would go and I, it hit me. If I just went one size, size smaller, I'm still getting coffee, which I should drink less of anyways. But if I just get a smaller one, that almost covers my, my cost of getting a kid health care, school, and food. And I just went from this coffee to this coffee. We can all do this, guys. And I think that the church is supposed to be responsible for that. We're constantly blaming the government and saying, why isn't the government providing for us? No, it's not the government's job to provide for us. The church should be the most benevolent force in the United States. It should be the church helping, right? But because the church hasn't done what it's supposed to do, unfortunately, other organizations have had to step in. So we're, we're called to be good stewards with our finances. We're also called to be good stewards with loving people. I love what Jesus says. We're seeing it this year. Jesus says, if the servant thinks that the master's not going to be around for a while, look what it says. It says they start to beat their other servants. It says that they start to hang out with drunkards and they start to party and they get careless and they don't love other people. So not only are we kind to be loving to other people, it also says, it alludes to that we're, we're to live in sobriety which means we need to be careful about being intoxicated. That's a sin. That's wrong. It's not wrong for you to have a beer with your pizza. It's wrong for you to get intoxicated. And now the big thing is marijuana, right? Everyone's talking about how great marijuana is. Let me tell you how great marijuana is for a second. I did a wedding last week in here for a young couple that's been coming to this church for years. They just went and ate dinner. They were engaged. They were about to get married a week before this happened. They were on their motorcycle, driving 30 miles per hour down Memorial totally in the right, doing nothing wrong. A young lady who just got done smoking a joint, right? That's apparently the the savior of everything right now, just got done smoking a joint because she was intoxicated because that's what weed does to you. She made a wrong turn on Memorial from Northfield, hit these two young people on their bikes. He's now paralyzed from the waist down and her brain shifted six centimeters. Tell me how great that drug is. Someone tell me about it. Someone tell me about it. I hear more Christians talk about the the benefits of CBD more than they talk about the benefits of prayer and reading the word of God. You know what upsets me is how much that probably offended you right now. How many people got offended by that right now? Carelessness. And when we're careless and we're selfish, when we let our guard down and we're not alert. When it's about how we feel and not about the betterment of society and mankind, people get hurt, literally get hurt, literally get hurt. Kids get neglected, wives get beat, a young couple that was about to get married the week after get hit on their motorcycle, and their life is forever changed. But hey, you just keep doing you, right? And here's the problem with this is one day we're going to have to own up to all this. One day we're going to be held accountable for this. Listen, I believe that for the believer, for the Christian, God has prepared a beautiful place for us, an eternity that is wonderful. But if I believe in the heaven that God talks about, I also have to believe in the hell Jesus talks about. I'm blown away with how many Christians say, well, I don't believe in a literal hell. Well, that's interesting because Jesus obviously did. He talked about it quite a bit. That there will be a place... And because a life without Jesus leads us to arrogance, it leads us to selfishness and hurting oneself and hurting others. What hell is going to be, I don't know if hell's gonna be literal fire and brimstone. I don't know if it's literally fire and brimstone, but I do know hell is going to be a separation from God. Now, the Bible says that all goodness within us, any good thing we do, whether we acknowledge God or not, everything good that comes out of us is because God has allowed it to happen. Imagine a group of people. There's probably six or 700 of us in this room right now. Imagine a group of people like this. If you were to remove all goodness from every single one of us in this room, you wouldn't need fire and brimstone. It would be hell. And imagine an environment like that where there's no goodness in us. And imagine an environment like that where we could not die. We would abuse each other. We would hurt each other. We would try to tear each other to shreds. So whatever hell is, I know it's a separation from God and it's going to be very, very dark. And Jesus warns us, that's not where you want to go. It's not where you want to go. So we have to be faithful. So let me tell you this. God does not expect you to be perfect. God does not expect us to do everything right all the time. But God expects us to be diligent. God expects us to be consistent. Not perfect, but consistent. That if we make a mistake, we consistently run back to Jesus. That if we make a mistake, that we consistently walk away from the evil. That we be consistent with prayer, reading the word of God, being around other good people. Not perfect, consistent. And so we have to ask, are we consistently building a relationship with God? I ask this all the time. But you have to be honest with yourself. Do you have a prayer life? Do you read the word of God? You don't have to read it all next week. Man, if you just read a couple of verses a day, listen to it on your way to work, whatever the case may be. Is it a part of your life? Are we consistent? Do we listen to the Lord? Do we, are we building a relationship with him? Are we consistently loving others? And when I say loving others, loving people biblically, the way the Bible, we don't even know what the word love means anymore. Again, I get a kick out of people. Love is love. Love has no boundaries. When that 50-year-old man starts taking an interest in your 11-year-old daughter, tell me that love has no boundaries. Tell me that there's no borders. Tell me that anything goes. Love has parameters, and those parameters are defined by this book. That's what true love is. So, not only do we love people, we love them biblically. We love them in the right confines, in the right space, in the right lane. That means it's not love if you walk up to a crack attic and give them a 50. You know what they're gonna buy? Crack. And they're gonna overdose. Well, I loved them. You loved them right to death. That's why we walk with people, we help people, we put them in programs, we bring them to church, we teach them the gospel. We show them that God loves them and that we love them. It's not just throwing a 50 at somebody. Oh, that's love. It's like handing a gun to someone that's suicidal. Well, they wanted a gun. It's not love. We have to love them the way Jesus tells us to love people. We need to be serving, we need to be giving. We need to position ourselves to be held accountable. We have to be consistent in these things. We need to repent. Everyone needs to buy David Young's new book, King Jesus, about obedience-based discipleship. He says something brilliant in there. He says, in modern-day Christianity, therapy has replaced repentance. Do you know it's not enough just to talk about what you struggle with? You have to ask Jesus to forgive you of that struggle, and you have to take steps to get away from that struggle. Listen, coming from a guy that goes to a counselor once a month, I think I can dig on this a little bit. I believe in Christian counseling. It's a wonderful thing. We've employed many of them here. I agree with it. But nothing will replace us going to the Father and saying we're sorry and we want to walk away from that evil. We have to repent. We have to want to walk away from darkness. And we have to show others grace when they make mistakes. Instead of kicking them while they're down, come on, man, we can do this together. Let's get up. Let's walk forward. You can do this. Bible says, bear each other's burdens and it fulfills the law of Christ. Let's do this. We have to repent. We have to turn from evil. We have to be faithful. We have to be prepared. Are you and I cognizant that we're not going to live forever on this earth? I did 14 funerals in 2017. Half of those funerals were for for people under the age of 30. Half of them. These weren't people who were expecting to die. They didn't have cancer for 20 years. They weren't in their 80s. They died in car accidents or ATV accidents. Young woman that came to this church who was murdered by her husband wasn't expecting that. Do we understand that there is a brevity of life? Jesus says, You're not promised tomorrow. Not just you, do you understand the woman in the cubicle next to you whose life is falling apart? She's not gonna live forever either. That means you can't stop putting off reaching out to her. You can't stop putting off sharing the love of Christ with people and getting to know people. They may die tomorrow. And what if their souls were not where they needed to be? That's why we have work to do. Understand the brevity of life, the brevity of other people's lives. So it begs the question, what are we doing with our time? Corey, I don't have any time. You're on Facebook four and a half hours today. You have time. We have time. So are we using our time wisely? Are we intentionally discipling people? And listen, if you don't know how to do that, get on our app, the Discovery Bible Studies thing on our app. It'll walk with you through just simple ways to disciple people. That doesn't mean you have to be a theological scholar. It means you have to intentionally get coffee with someone or lunch with someone that you get to know people. And you guys can go through a book of the Bible together or another Christian book, and it's just walk in life with people. Are we doing that? Helping others grow in their relationship with God as we grow in our relationship with God? Are we intentionally? Are you doing it? Are you discipling your kids? Are you discipling your family? You as a spouse is iron sharpening iron in your marriage. Let me ask you this. Are we full of his Holy Spirit? If we claim to be Christians, we should have the Holy Spirit of God. We need to make sure we're full of that Holy Spirit. And if we're full of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit will be evident in our lives. Do you know what one of the fruit of the Spirit is? Peace. Are you seeing that right now? I can't tell you how many conservative Christians are so mean and hateful and divisive and ugly, and that is not a fruit of the Spirit. If you're such a conservative Christian, display the fruit of the Spirit. Display joy and peace and kindness and long-suffering. You'll know a tree by its fruit, and our fruit should be the fruit of the Holy Spirit. We also need to be praying for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, specifically the gift of wisdom and discernment. You need those gifts. You need the gift of discernment because this world is insane and you have to know how to navigate it. You need the gift of wisdom because it's the only gift of the Holy Spirit that the Bible says, if you ask for it, God will not only give it to you, he will give it to you in abundance, the Bible says. You need wisdom. We all need wisdom right now. Every single time I pray, I'm not kidding you. I said, God, please give me wisdom. That's always the last thing I pray for. If any, you can ask me if you've ever come up to me and said, Corey, what can we pray for you for? Wisdom. I have wisdom. If I just have wisdom, I'll be okay. I'll know what to do, right? God, give me wisdom. We need to ask for God to fill us with his Holy Spirit because here's what happens. If we're not prepared, if we're not faithful, we're gonna end up being Christian atheists. What that means is this, a person that says they believe in the word of God, but live like the things in this book will never come to fruition. Yes, I know that it's wrong to do these things, but I don't think I'll ever have to pay for them. There's some of you in this room right now that are living. You know that you're living in a way that you shouldn't live right now. But honestly, if you get down to the core of it, you haven't done anything because you don't think it's going to come to an end. You don't think Jesus could come back anytime soon. You don't think you're going to have to pay a price for that. You'll deal with it later. It's Christian atheism. Have we fallen into this? Have we become religious people that really don't believe in the power of the Holy Spirit? And we really don't depend on the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Going back to pick on all the the oil stuff. And listen, I'm not trying to be a jerk, guys. I have a diffuser in my office, right? I'm not just like a crazy, like, don't believe in anything guy. It smells good. That's why I have it. I just like the smell of it. But listen, when I hear Christians say, man, I could never get relief until I found this. Unless you're talking about the Holy Spirit, that bothers me. Well, I could never find peace until I had this. I never had any answer for my anxiety until I found marijuana. The Bible says when you're anxious, in all times when you're anxious, it says to pray. It doesn't say to mask it and cover it up. It doesn't say just to get intoxicated so you don't think about it. Deal with it. Let the Lord deal with it. Let's not just cover up the weed. Let's pull it. Well, that was a bad analogy, wasn't it? Let's not just cover up something that grows in the ground. Let's pull it up, right? And let's get to the root of it. But I think the problem is this. We don't really believe that the Holy Spirit can change us. Well, Corey, I was born this way. Okay, be born again. That's what Jesus said. I believe you can. I was born with a bad temper. I was born with a propensity to lust. That doesn't mean I stay in that. God delivers me from depravity. We're born once into our physical bodies, then we're born a second time into our spiritual self. And so Jesus says, okay, you were born that way. That's why you have to be born again. That's why you have to be full of the Holy Spirit. The where we believe in the deliverance of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Do we honestly believe that one day we will be held accountable by the words of that book? Do you, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that God cares that we live Righteously. Do you really believe that there is an eternity? Do you really believe that you're not promised a Monday? I mean, God forbid, but we're not promised tomorrow. Do we really believe what these words say? Everything I've read to you today is straight from the mouth of God himself. Do we believe those things? Let me show you, let me show you. You would have thought this verse that I'm about to show you was written last week in the United States. Let me show you. Paul wrote this to his buddy Timothy 2,000 years ago. Let me show you this. Hard times will come in the last days. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, Unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Look, here's where we are. Holding to a form of godliness, but denying its power. Christian atheism. This is Christianity in the United States right now. Holding on to a form of it. Yeah, I believe Jesus is up there. I live the exact same way that I lived before I met him. Ah, you know, I was just born with this anger. I was born with this temper. I was born with this addiction. Born with these feelings. Well, I know God is good, but my marriage is over. Nothing can fix it. Well, I'm anxious and depressed. There's nothing that can fix it. We haven't even given... Listen, do you want to know the insanity of Christian culture right now in the United States? The same group of people, listen, that believe the God of the universe came down as a human, was brutally beaten and nailed to a hunk of wood for nine hours, buried in a grave for three days, resurrected by the Holy Spirit on the third day, right? He was dead, resurrected by the Holy Spirit on the third day. The same people who claim to believe in that don't believe Jesus can save their marriage. They don't believe Jesus can help them with their anxiety. A drug must do that. They don't believe that God can change their emotions. Only a therapist can do that, not the God of the universe. Do you see the insanity? Do you see the insanity in saying that we follow this, but not living in any way like the Holy Spirit has power to change us, to transform us, to lead us and guide us? If we believe that Jesus Christ got out of a grave, we should also believe that Jesus Christ can intervene in our life and help us. We don't have to be afraid of governments. You don't have to be afraid of economies. The Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the grave, according to Ephesians 1.13, has sealed your salvation if you're a believer. Walk in it. Walk in it. Build a relationship with God. Be full of his spirit. Pray and ask him. Or, Are we just doing this because we feel like we're somehow obligated? You know what we treat Jesus like? Like a supplement. Well, I'm doing all these other things and every once in a while I'll take a couple of Jesus doses. We talk about loving Jesus more than anything and the only time we see him or talk to him is for an hour and a half on the weekend if the Titans aren't winning or if UT's not playing. Right? I think everyone's giving up on them. If you don't have anything else better going on, maybe we'll talk to Jesus. When I need him, Santa Claus Jesus is hanging out over there. We have a form of godliness, but we've completely denied the power that is Christ. <laughs> Wouldn't you bow your heads with me, please? As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, let me tell you why I get so frustrated about topics like what we're talking about today. Sometimes people tell me I'm really harsh on the whole marijuana thing. Let me tell you why. Um, When I was a teenager, I smoked a lot of weed. One time I was at a party, I, I smoked a joint that was laced with crack cocaine, ended up in cocaine rehab. There's an old saying. Not everyone who smokes weed does cocaine, but everyone who does cocaine smokes weed. Just let that sink in for a second. Here's why I get so frustrated, though. Here's why I get so frustrated. Whenever people tell me that, that, that it has to be something else besides the Holy Spirit. In 2002, I was in the middle of my third suicide attempt. I was trying to drink myself to death because my, my now wife, then girlfriend of five years, Alicia, she left me because I messed up our relationship after 3 days of trying to drink myself to death i woke up on a wednesday the first week of, uh, of august 2002 i got in my car and i drove down to a little bitty church because i was at my wits end i didn't even believe in god my wife didn't believe in god i rolled into this little church i found my way into the into my what w- would be my pastor's office and i laid down face first on his carpet and i just started crying And I just started like just pouring my guts out and I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I was praying to a God that I didn't even know if I believed in yet. And while I was laying there, right? Former drug addict, lost everything, was in the middle of a suicide attempt. It felt like someone hit me with a taser, shocked my body. I sat up and I sat down on my pastor's couch and I looked at him with like a deer in the headlights and he said, Corey, that was the Holy Spirit. I didn't know what that was. And he said, let me tell you what happened. And let me tell you who Jesus is. Let me tell you how much Jesus loves you. Let me tell you about the cross that he died on and what you felt right now. That was God touching you. Instantly, I was changed. I've never looked back since. Never looked back. Made a lot of mistakes, but I've never doubted God. Never doubted the power of his Holy Spirit who delivered me, instantly delivered me. Changed my life forever. Five months later, my atheist girlfriend that hated my guts came to church. Same thing happened. Found herself laying on a pew. God instantly just wrecked her life. She got baptized that night, gave her life to Jesus. Instantly, the Holy Spirit flipped her around, restored our relationship, saved us, delivered us, moved us forward. Never looked back. Made a lot of mistakes, but never looked back. And so the same Holy Spirit that changed my life, I know can change yours. The same Holy Spirit that fixed my relationship with my wife, I know can fix yours. The same Holy Spirit that delivered me from drug addiction and suicidal thoughts from deep depression and anxiety, that same Spirit can help you. I know it. I believe it with everything in me. And I get so frustrated that I see people run to everything except for the most powerful force in the universe, the Holy Spirit of God. I don't know where you're at right now, but I know that you have access to the one thing that can dramatically change you, permanently fix you, move you in the right direction, save your soul, save your mind, save you. But you have to reach out for him. If you're in this room and you have any questions, Pastor Carl is up here on my right, your left. If you want to talk to him, if you're not a believer and you're like, man, dude up there is crazy, but I'm interested, right up here to my right, your left, Carl is up here. If you need prayer for anything, please come up here and get prayer. Of course we pray that God's will be done, but I've seen God work in people's lives through prayer. Please come up here and get prayer. And then the last thing is, is you have communion in your hands. That represents a savior that bled his blood. He died, broken his body for us, God. Broken his body for us. And that that savior didn't stay dead, but resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit that we've been talking about today. And that if we will just commit our lives to him, he gives us that spirit. And today you can ask God to forgive you of your sins and you can move forward. And if you'll just be obedient to him, I give you my word, your life will change. I give you my word. I give you my word. Father, Lord, I love you, God. Father, there may not be anyone in this room today that this resonates with, God. My greatest desire would be that everyone in this room, Lord, already has a strong relationship with you. And so maybe, Father, everything I've said today, God, they, they, it, they already know that. They already resonate with that. But Father, maybe there's someone watching at home today. Maybe there's a friend of a friend that wasn't here today that maybe needed to hear this message. But Father, Lord, if there's anyone in this room, God, that just is desperate for you, Father, Lord, please let them just submit themselves. Let them be humble. God, if they have to take a knee in this room or find someone to pray with or... Whatever the case may be, God, Lord, let us trust that your Holy Spirit can do all things. God, I pray for the men and women in this room. Pray, Lord, that we just have a greater relationship with you and trust you, God. We love you. We thank you. We praise you, Father. We pray all these things in your son's name, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are welcome to help yourself. Thank you guys so much. Love you guys.